Hello, this is Steve from Retroman Blog, and welcome to this very special edition of Retrosonic Podcast. Well, last Sunday, August the 1st, we went along to our favourite record store, Sounds of the Suburbs in Ryslip, to see Gary Crowley, that legendary DJ, TV and radio show presenter, A&R man, schoolboy music journalist, and former receptionist at the NME, give a talk and Q&A session to promote his excellent new compilation, Lost 80s Volume 2, 1980-1986. And this has been released via Demon Music, in a beautifully packaged 64-track, four-disc set, all housed in a hardback book cover, lavishly illustrated and packed full of photos, notes and background information. And the track list itself features an eclectic mix of hidden gems and unusual choices from some familiar and not-so-familiar names. And Gary's choices certainly highlight the diverse styles that made the early to mid-80s such an exciting time, from post-punk to jangly indie pop, ska and reggae, jazz, soul, rap and electronica. This compilation covers all the bases. So, in the discussion you're about to hear, Gary not only talks about the compilation itself, but we were also treated to an entertaining romp through his life in music. So, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to Tony Smith at Sounds of the Suburbs for organising such a thoroughly enjoyable afternoon, and to the presenter, singer-songwriter John Donegan, and of course to Gary himself for allowing me to record the show for Retrosonic Podcast. Well, Lost 80s Volume 2 is out now via all the usual outlets, but it will certainly sound even better if you pop along to Ryslip and buy yourself a copy from Sounds of the Suburbs. So for more information, you can also check out retromanblog.com and don't forget our full Retrosonic Podcast archive is available to stream, listen or download from Spotify, SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. So here we go, sit back and enjoy Gary Crowley. Sound of the Suburbs um, record launch sort of day for one of Gary's. This is Gary's second um, sort of a CD record launch for his Sounds of the 80s, and there are actually fantastic songs on there. Just mentioned some of the bands that I grew up with, like the Monochrome Set, yeah. Fine Young Cannibals, Marine Girls, who then went on to be Everything But the Girl, Theatre of Hate, Blamange, Curtis Blow, Lynx, and I just saw this earlier this Island Earth. Yes. And my girlfriend was in a video for them. Oh, really? Okay. See That Glow. See That Glow, which was a big, big favourite. That almost made the um, the track listing for this one. But wow. uh, and if we get a volume three, that'll be, uh, be, that'll honest, be on yeah. there. Yes, great that, record. The actual video for that was actually on a swap shop. Oh, right. now, And it was actually reviewed. So when right. I first a good review? That, a good review? Yeah, yeah. Right. But it's one of them songs that just never made it. Yeah. A bit before its time. Yes. Yeah, I mean, great sounding records. I think if my memory serves me correctly, um, is it... What's his name? Zuis Beheld, the German producer who worked with a lot of people, I think produced both of their records. But I think they're a Liverpool band, if my memory serves me correctly. But uh, yeah, great records. Well, 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 if you want to see my girlfriend in a a swimming costume on YouTube, it's all (laughs) right. Without further welcome, please welcome the one and only Gary Crowley. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, um, well, basically, the, um, the, the, the idea of the compilation 
um, came about um, a couple of years ago. Um, I did a punk and new wave compilation with uh, my pal Jim LaHat. We used to present um, a radio show, a once a week radio show on Soho Radio called um, Gary Crowley's Punk and New Wave Program. And um, we'd been doing it for a while, for about a year, and um, I was speaking to a PR guy who suggested um, that maybe I speak to um, a lovely fellow called Ben Stanley at Demon Records um, about, you know, some ideas. And um, I, I said to Ben, listen, you know, are you interested in doing a, a, a potential punk and new wave compilation? And uh, pleasingly, he, uh, he bit my hand off and um, that came out... I think about five or if it's for me, I'm not here. Um, it came out for me, really. Oh, really? <laughs> um, so I'm going to sort of gab for a little while and then you can all ask questions and, uh, and then we can, uh, yeah, have a very enjoyable afternoon. So anyway, the Punk and New Wave compilation came out and it did very, very well, pleasingly. Jim was a very, very important part of it because, uh, you know, Jim a bit like Tony, sort of really knows his kind of obscure stuff. I think I'm probably a little bit more, as far as punk and new wave is concerned, maybe a little bit more populist. But I think that marriage of what I was into and what Jim was into worked really, really well. In fact, um, I think it was uh, it, it got the uh, the best compilation uh, award at the uh, Viva La Rock um, Awards that year, which, which was nice. And yeah, it was lovely, that. And then I said to Ben afterwards, I said, listen, Ben, you know the obvious follow-up to uh, to the punk and new wave compilation would be to do um, a, a lost 80s compilation because i think it's fair to say that um a lot of those artists that john you know mentioned were you know inspired you know um by punk music um you know they were probably punks i mean i used to think of myself uh, as a punk i mean i was 15 in 1977 um so you know all of those bands on the list um, you know, would have all been ignited by um, by punk, and I think that that influence um, is very much felt on on both of the um, the, the Lost Eighties compilations, both Volume One and also you know Volume Two, because I think it you know gave those music makers you know that idea that um, you know you can have a go and, and and do this, you know that sort of wonderful. DIY ethic, um, and um, I think that, as I said, that kind of permeates, you know, both of the um, the, the kind of compilations. Um, you know, whether it's um, you know the Power Fountains on there, or, or, or you know the Monochrome set, or you know, I mean, even bands like Spandau and, and, and Wham, who were on the first uh, compilation as well. I think you know, seeing bands kind of getting off their backsides and doing it in 1977 and 1978 and 79 and having success, I think was uh, was undoubtedly um, uh, an influence. So, you know, that's how the, um, you know, the compilations kind of came about. And the Lost 80s one, which we came here and, and did a little launch thing for, yeah, what was it, two or three years ago, I think now, time has flown by, isn't it? Um, you know, that seemed to do very, very well. And, uh, you know, even when I delivered the, um, you know, the wish list for um, the first one, I already had an idea in my um, in my mind's eye of, of, of what I wanted to be on the, um, on the second one. So, um, you know, I delivered that very, very quickly. And... Um, and then, yeah, it, it, it was released um, a week ago. We had a little launch party for it at the 229 Club, which was lovely. Tony came oh, down. It was a good night, wasn't it? We weren't really sure what to expect. I mean, just out of interest, since, you know, this this awful thing called COVID, have uh, uh, many of you been to 
gigs or, or, or any club nights or any no no and that was the first one that, that, that I went along to as well so you know it was uh, it, yeah, it wasn't sort of sure what to kind of expect really but uh, but it was a lovely atmosphere you obviously enjoyed it up on the decks I did, I did, but you know what, Tony? Very unlike me, I was getting quite anxious um, b b beforehand. I mean, my girlfriend's laughing because uh, uh, I'm being sort of, you know, slightly ironic there. But um, yeah, it was um, it, it was a lovely atmosphere, and you know, well, 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 lots of people smiling. Yeah, and and I think you know when when I arrived, um, you know, I had my mask on, and, and and I wasn't sort of too sure what the um, you know the protocol was. You know, saying hello to people. I'm a very tactile person. I'm normally throwing my arms. Um, around complete strangers, but um, it's got me into trouble before. But um, you know, you're not really sure how how, how to um, to kind of behave. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think once everybody had a drink or three, it seemed to kind of sort of relax down, and it was it, it was it was a lovely atmosphere. And, and you know, hopefully, well, the dance floor was busy, which was lovely, and uh, I think you know most people most people sort of enjoyed it. interesting about the um the first compilation i guess was that it was more you know 1981 82 83 so um you know cd1 um was more you know those great kind of guitar pop bands uh, of the time and you know a lot of them a big chunk of them coming out of scotland so you know we had, had aztec camera on there and and you know the bluebells um we had april showers who made one of my favorite records from 1984 three, four, called um, Abandoned Ship. Um, I mean, I'm going off sort of beam here a little bit, but that, that was a bit of a, that was a little bit of a sad thing about the um, first compilation is I asked a um, beautiful, lovely girl called Beatrice Collin, who, who went on to become a very successful um, writer, uh, you know, a playwright as well. She had a few plays on Radio 4. And I, uh, you know, I, I got a contact for her um, and I asked her whether she could sort of, you know, send us any memories that she might have of Glasgow, of that period, you know, the early 80s. And, um, you know, she replied immediately. We also had had memories of from you know various other you know people on the first compilation but Beatrice bless her you know replied almost immediately and and you know very descriptive very vivid memories of Glasgow of that time and then literally about um you know a couple of days before the um compilation came out Bobby Bluebell from the Bluebells messaged me and said Gary have you heard the news about Beatrice and uh you know she'd sadly passed away which uh was uh, you know very sad, very upsetting, and of course you know someone who I'm sure you know I can say on, on all of our behalfs you know certainly for me a massive influence, Pete Shelley from the Buzzcocks who we had on the uh, the first compilation with Homer Sapien as well, you know I think it was about a week or two weeks. Do you remember Carla when we were in the car and because um, we were messaging um, Steve, but 
yeah, that was really, really sad as well. But speaking of better things, nobody, as far as I know, with this one so far, has uh, shuffled off this mortal coil. But anyway, I mean, I'm jumping around here a little bit. So, yeah, I guess th this compilation is probably more a little bit 83, 84. So CD number one, some of those names that John mentioned, I guess this one sort of shows that influence, that, you know, soul that, that jazz was kind of having um, at, at the time. So, you know, you've got Working Week and, you know, Vince Ramos on there, which is absolutely, you know, a 20-foot-high classic as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we could have had the 12-inch on the, um, the album, but it's about... 10 minutes long or something so you know we went for the for the seven inch version which i still lo love which has got a really infectious bossa nova kind of feel to it monkeys are on there the fine young cannibals as well you know that kind of sort of blue-eyed soul thing going on um the ethos of both of these compilations has been having some big names on there but not the obvious tracks as well you know just trying to sort of throw a few curveballs so it might be an album track it might be a b-side um the second one second side is uh, you know more of um you know i guess what was sort of happening on the um the kind of alternative sort of dance floor really I mean again you know an interesting time that the early 80s you know after punk after you know that first wave that second wave of bands I don't know how you remember it but I remember it you know the, the, the dance floor becoming important again you know people wanted to dance again as well as going to gigs and I think that that sort of um, hopefully kind of reflects that um, so you've got the you know the Hickson's on there with I Don't Want to Live With Monkeys um, you know Leisure Process again I mean that record that track that band have had so much love on you know social media this island earth who john mentioned a little i mean it's funny looking at this standing here now you know just how diverse um and eclectic you know that that period was which i personally absolutely loved you know i mean i loved that kind of mix because you know i was always a little bit of a musical zealot really um you know if I was standing next to, um, maybe not a heavy metal fan, but if I was standing next to somebody who was into soul music, you know, I'd sort of start 
sort of growing thorough trousers and, uh, you know, the beachy cardigans and not literally but you know what I mean I mean I've always had very very wide very eclectic taste my sister was into soul music you know she's a year younger than me so her and her mates were always over at our, our, um, our house our flat um, you know so I'd be listening to that stuff and um, yeah it's um, you know hopefully this kind of sort of reflects that kind of sort of diversity I think um, I'll just say a couple of more things and then you know if you guys want to ask some questions but I think, you know, another sort of thing that really screamed out at me with this was just the, um, you know, the influence that uh, yeah, a lot of the music makers that we all grew up with in the 60s and the 70s had on, on, on these artists. And I think that's why, you know, for me, a lot of the songs of the 1980s have aged well, you know, and I think will continue to, um, to be played because, um, you know, the songs... Well, great, you know, these people were kind of aspiring um, to, I don't know, but Bacharach or Lennon and McCartney or, you know, Marriott and Lane. And, and, you know, they might not have got there, but the way that they got it wrong, sort of it became their thing, you know, their own thing. So, um, yeah, I'm quite proud of it. But two of my favourite 12-inch yes. ever on side four. Which, 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 General Public. Yes, Tenderness is a fact. Medicine Show. Yeah. yeah. They're two of my favourite 12 inches. Well... Period. It's funny you should say that, Tony, because I, you know, I always wanted to have big audio dynamite. Um, you know, they were always going to be on this. I mean, I, I delivered the track listing for the first compilation, and um, I thought, right, I'm going to save big audio dynamite for the second because I think, you know, the first album came out '85, '86, and um, I'm going to name drop here anyway, just once. But I've just, I mean, I write about this memory on on the sleeve notes, but. I've got a vivid memory, actually, Tony, of going to see Run DMC at um, the at Busby's um, on Charing Cross Road. Does anybody anybody would have gone there? I think it was called the Sundown before that, and then later I think it was called the LA Two. Seemed to have a new name every year, right next to the um, to the Astoria. But I always remember, I always remember going along to um, to see Run DMC. It was their very very first show, and Mick going up to the bar and Mick Jones who, you know, hadn't long been out of the clash. I'd probably been about a year or something like that. And um, and, and seeing him, because I've been very, very lucky. I'd, I'd interviewed the clash a couple of times for our school fanzine. And he was like, oh, Gary, you know, good to see you, good to see you. And, you know, cool, you know, I'm a massive, massive fan. And uh, he said, oh, I've got this new band that I'm working on. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And he said, yeah, no, I think you're going to like it. Oh, really? Well, you know, what's it like? Well, you know, you just, just, just you wait. You know, we, we've kind of sort of got the first record all ready to go. And that was E equals MC squared. And, um, yeah. Lo and behold, to say that uh, you know I, I liked it, you know, it's the understatement of, of of the century. So, yeah, to have big audio dynamite on this, um, you know, was always going to be uh, was always going to be important. Covered wagon, medicine show. Take it to a place where the healing flows. Oh, oh, we can spirit, we got the juice. Won't save his soul, little shiny shoes Oh, Julie King to Kangaroo Santa Fe to Timbuktu Oh, don't be fooled by imitation This is the stuff that cured a nation We took the tube and a high place too Never stopped long, just passing through Hopeless people dance on. Oh, we're 
It's funny actually, there's a, there's a photograph there. I used to present this children's kids show called um, Pop Around. I was going to say Cracker Jack, man. Pop Around <laughs> to see if you lot were still awake. And then you'd have had to have shouted back Cracker Jack. Of course, you knew that. But um, getting Big Audio Dynamite on, um, on, on this kids' TV show, uh, Pop Around, um, and they did Medicine Show actually, was a real, a real little victory, you know, because, you know, The Clash hardly did any TV programmes. But, uh, you know, they were up for doing it. And uh, whether they enjoyed it or not, I don't know. But it's such a great record. And we've got the, um, you know, the kind of 12-inch widescreen version of Medicine Show on there. But, um, like I said, it's a mixed bag. But but that's the way that that, that I remember it. But um, I was very, very lucky in, in, in the early 80s. You know, I mean, I was 19 in 1982 and through working for a lovely fellow who I'm still very very good pals with a guy called Clive Banks who was a very successful very cool radio and TV plugger he did um, you know The Who and and, and, um, who else did he do Elvis Costello The Jam uh, which kind of you know got me the job really and um, you know later Banana Rama but uh, we had a great little office and it was through working for Clive that I started meeting people in um, in, in radio and uh, and TV and um, so that's how I got the show on Capital because there was this lovely fellow who had gone from Radio 1 to Capital and I think that you know, his idea was that they were going to... I've just seen that carbon silicon poster up there. Oh, yeah, oh, wow. I'll have to try and buy that off you, Tony, a little bit later on. Uh, I've just seen that. I've never seen that before. And was it, really? My eyesight's got a little bit better. I've got better lenses. But, um, yeah, so, so yeah, it, it, it was down to Tony. You know, I, mean, I always remember this, and I hope I'm not boring you, but anyway, t- Tony... Um, Tony rang the office one day, and I just happened to be on the reception of our um, our building. Um, Lee was our receptionist. Lee's the girl who um, is featured on the Is Vic There single um, by Department S. Do you know that song? Hello? Hello? Is Vic There? The night is young, the mood is mellow, and there's music in my ears. Is Vic There? 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 And Lee had gone out for lunch. Anyway, I was answering the phone and Tony um, called up and I said, hold on, Tony, I'll put you through to Clive. No, I'd only met him once or twice. And he was like, no, 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 I want to talk to you. Oh, oh, oh how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Da, 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 da. He said, listen, can you come in and, um, you know, maybe see me when it, you know, it's convenient um, for you? And um, I was like, yeah, okay, all right then. And um, I think later on that evening, I went into, um, I went over to, 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 to Capital and we were sort of chatting away. I mean, this was kind of quite unheard of at the time. Somebody with a strong regional act i mean somebody said on twitter the other day after you know we, we'd done a little trailer for, for the box set you almost sound posh now carrie but back <laughs> in 1982 honestly you know the, the the accent was very very thick and and and, and somebody having a, a regional accent and being on something like capital radio was quite unheard of really i mean it was you know a lot of the the, the presenters had that sort of mid-atlantic 
kind of Roger Scott type twang. Here's a new single from Bruce Springsteen. And, um, you know, for, for, for somebody to have an obvious working class accent it was quite rare. Danny Baker, Danny was doing a programme on Sunday lunchtime TV, but on radio there, 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 wasn't, there wasn't too many people with regional ac accents. Maybe Monty Modlin. Does anybody remember Monty Modlin? No, you're too young, you're far too young. <laughs> and um, you know I'm 75 really, don't you? But anyway, um, so yeah, to, to, to be offered that, to be given that show, you know, he said, listen, I think you could, you could do this. And I honestly wasn't, I was half expecting, you know, the presenter of Candy Camera to sort of leap, leap out of the, uh, you know, the office cupboard or something. But true to his word, you know, a month later, I was given my own radio show. And uh, he made a promise where he said that um, if you, he said, you can, I, I promise you that as long as I'm here, you'll always be able to play, you know, your own choice of music. And, uh, you know, true to his word, he, he, he kept that. And in actual fact, touch wood, I'm 60 in a couple of months. That's always been the case. I've never had anybody, um, you know, tell me, you know, what I, what I can and, and can't play. And uh, I'm down to one show a week at the moment, but I'll take that until the cows come home. So, um... Yeah, that's that's all started really. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> all back to Tony's after. The team Sony's. Anybody got any questions at all or anything? Please say yes. Please say yeah. There you go. Steve's got one. Yeah, I mean, did you have any songs that you had difficulty getting the clearance for? Oh, that's a good that, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, um, th th there were a couple. There was a couple. Um, First off the bat, somebody who I really, really wanted to have on this, um, you know, uh, only because I was, uh, I'm a massive, I was a massive fan. Sadly, he's no longer with us. Um, but um, that was Malcolm McLaren. And uh, there's a track on the first album, um, on Duck Rock, of course, which is one of my favourite albums from the 80s. Still sounds absolutely pristine, I think. Um, it's a track that's, um, that, that I think Anne Dudley might have been the thrust behind it. Um, and um, it's just called The World's Famous. And it's the two guys, the two rappers, C.D. Divine and Justice Lyle, the superstar. And I really wanted that track. There was a long sort of remix version of it. But, um, but unfortunately, we, we, we couldn't get it. Um, and there was a couple of others as well. There was this you know, terrific soul track by... Um, Lonnie Hill um, called Galveston, um, which I really, really wanted. That was a big favourite on the um, on, on the radio show back in the day. And um, so yeah, there were a couple, but the the fellow who actually did the clearing for for, for this, uh, you know, the, the, this is Demon Records. Um, it was a lovely fellow called Elliot, and um, you know, I'd get these little emails. You know, you give them a wish list basically, Steve, and then you know they they sort of go out there, you know, into the. Uh, into the, um, you know, the, wherever they've got to go to, to get the clearances. And, um, you know, I'd get these sort of emails or a phone call occasionally, or, you know, we've got the Human League for you. And they'd be like, yeah, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm so pleased with the, uh, with the um, you know, the track listing. I mean, I, I, I tried to sort of uh, arrange it as if I'm sort of doing a radio show in a way, really. So, you know, the, the records, the tracks... I hope so. I like to think sort of flow into each other. They're not too jarring. Um, so there is a little bit of a thread, a little bit of a theme there. Um, but yeah, you know, Malcolm, I really, really wanted on there. And, uh, but unfortunately, we didn't get him. 
Bless him. What do you think your top five are that didn't quite make it? So if you'd had 70 tracks, what are the five missing ones? Well, the ones that I did... Well, I think, I think you well, know... There's only one, so... I mean, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, once you could get hold of, but you had to... You had to cut them off the list, or was it...? Well, I can't actually remember, to be perfectly honest. I mean, um, you know, because the way that they work it is that, you know, they'll sort of go through it, and then, you know, I might say, oh, I think we're almost sort of done, I think we've got enough tracks now, because, you know, you only need a certain amount of tracks for, for each disc. So I say, listen, if you can concentrate on, you know, CD number four or, or, or what have you. But, um, yeah, no, I, you know, I think those are the two obvious ones that really sort of scream out for me, you know, I really wanted Malcolm McLaren on it because I was, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to meet him a couple of times. Uh, in actual fact, I don't know if I write about that in the booklet. I don't think I do actually, but I remember when Duck Rock came out, he um, he came in the ra- on the radio show uh, a few times, and um, and he also mentioned in a in an interview in the NME actually, which I got very excited about. He said that his plan was that he was going to take me to New York and get C.D. Divine and Justice Lyle, the world's famous Supreme Team, to teach me how to, uh, how to scratch. And I always sort of think, if that had happened, I could have been a superstar DJ now, living in a mansion on a hill in Ibiza. But sadly, that didn't. But anyway. Exactly. And it all turned out good. So, uh, yeah. And I think Mandy's here. I think I saw Mandy a little bit earlier on. But um, the, I used to, my very first serious girlfriend was Siobhan's little sister, um, Neve. Because uh, my first job in music was as an office boy at Decca Records, which is 1978, and it was probably the most unhip record label going. Um, I mean, you know, they had the Moody Blues. Nothing against the Moody Blues, but you know, as far as you know, having all my favourite bands on at the time in 1978. Didn't have any no, they had Coxborough. They had Adam and the Ants for one single. Sorting the Dogs. Sorting the Dogs, they did, yeah. Camel. Camel they had as well, that's right, yes they did, yeah. And, hold on, none of you have mentioned the other band that, that well, not even a band, the other artist that they had, who was the, the only artist who was really making them money in 1978, was uh, Father Abraham and Smurfs. <laughs> Because I remember, I remember, you know, my, 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 my job actually, God, I've, I've forgotten about this. I had to take the costume down for one of the dancers, down the lift at the offices in Great Marlborough Street and, and put it, in the, uh, put it in, the, uh, in the back of a cab, which was going off the top of the pops. But having said that, even though Decca was the most unhip record label going, for me at the time, I wouldn't have been anywhere else because the people who worked there you know the boys and the girls who worked there I just thought was so cool Siobhan Fahi you know who, who went on to uh, to form the Bananas with Karen and, and Sarah was the receptionist and uh, I was the office boy 
I was secretly in love with her. She lived in, I lived on the Listen Green estate. She lived in uh, West Hampstead. So we'd get the 159 bus home and I'd just be sat there like that, <laughs> looking at her. And, um, but anyway, I, I met her sister, Maeve, who, who's still a good pal and Siobhan's a good friend as well. But um, yeah, so um, yeah, with the bananas, I always loved their version of the pistols, no feelings, which was party party. Anybody seen party party? Really tiny, great movie. You seen it, Johnny? I think so. Oh, fantastic! It's like a sort of a early eighty-two eight. The soundtrack album is great, but but yeah, so so you know the bananas always loved that version, and yeah. Did Paul Cook produce that? Yeah, he produced he, that as well. Didn't he played with it very early. He did. I think. Well, was he on the first single. Yes, I think yeah. Paul was very encouraging to the girls because I think he and Steve Jones lived in the you know the rehearsal, the Pistols rehearsals room on Denmark Street, and I think Sarah and Karen, up to moving in with um, with, with Siobhan, used to you know sometimes crash there as well so that was the connection and paul produced the first single um iea and one up so um yeah Yes. Um, a CD that's got winning the polecats on it is a winner for me. But oh. you, talk, you talked before how you tapped into the Glasgow scene in the eighties. Given no internet, no modern media, how did you get hold of all those bands so far away? Well, it, 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 it's funny when you think about it, and, and how important you know the phone was, and 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 you know um, sort of almost doing a little bit of detective work in a way, really. Um, you know, I mentioned that Decca was my first job. My second job was working, um, I replaced Danny Baker at the NME, which was, you know, to be at the New Musical Express, we were talking a little bit earlier on, Steve, about some of the photographers that, um, you know, as well as the journalists, was, I was in the, I thought I was in the eye of the, hu- you know, the hurricane, it was amazing. And then I left the NME and I started working for this guy who I mentioned, Clive Banks, who was this very successful cool radio TV plugger and but he had a publishing company as well and um, Clive was very successful did very well with the pretenders that was his sort of first big success because of course they exploded in America and actually Haircut 100 were on the first album I remember we went to see Haircut 100 at the Embassy Club and I was Clive's sort of A&R 
scout for the publishing company and helping a little bit with the plugin side as well. We didn't get Haircut 100, but we got the Bluebells, who were sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, good friends of, of, of the Haircuts, and we took them on tour as well. But it was literally, I mean, I remember um, first hearing about, you know, the Bluebells through reading um, Agent Thrills's column, I think it might have been. He had a column called Garage Land in the NME. I don't know if anybody remembers this. But, you know, that's what you did. You know, you, you'd see something, a review of somebody or an interview, and, you know, you literally had to kind of get your magnifying glass out and put your deer stalker on and then go and, well, how am I going to get in contact with them? So you call up the live music editor at the NME. Oh, you've just won a review of, I don't know, Sophisticated Boom Boom. Have you got a contact number for them at all or something? Or, you know, you'd get hold of Adrian. So that's the way that it was done, really, kind of pre-internet days. And, um, you know, obviously maybe we all sort of look back with a bit of sort of rose-tinted spectacles, but I do sort of think that I was spoiled, really, back in the uh, that, that period. I had my own radio programme. So when I went up to, to, to Glasgow to see bands or just sort of ha hang out, you know... Um, you know, made lots of friends. Uh, you know, you know, still in contact. You know, Bobby Bluebell's still a good pal, and and you know, Roddy, I see every now and then. I haven't seen him for a couple of years. Haven't said that though. You know, love desktop camera. Um, you know, Charlene from Texas. Um, you know, it was an exciting place, Glasgow in particular. Um, you know, in the early eighties, we used to go to. Is it the Barras where all the second-hand shops? Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. still got a corduroy coat jacket that I bought in, uh, you know, 81, 82 that I st still fits me um, and, and, and that I still wear as well. Um, still got the same mothballs. And, um, yeah, no, it was, I love Glasgow. Just love the energy and uh, it was an exciting time. I think in the 80s as well, there was something that they were putting in the water in Glasgow, you know, some of those bands. I mean, with, with this one, I think with, with the first one, we've got a real smattering of, 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 you know, Scottish music makers. This one, I think we've got Leisure Process winner on there as well. The images, of course, one of my all-time favourite memories is actually being on tour with Wham! on the first tour and going to a club with altered images. They took us out after the gig at the Glasgow Apollo and dancing with Claire. And I just thought, it's not going to get any better than this. <laughs> and it never did. <laughs> You're right, it's interesting when you think about it, you know, then it was a case of having to get the phone book out and, and, and sort of ring around, you know, but whatever you were doing, whatever you were doing, that's the way, it, it's so easy now, isn't it? Sometimes I do think, I mean, I'd be interested to see what you guys think, but, you know, sometimes I sort of think that it's almost too easy sometimes now with this, you know, you could sort of tell me the, the you know, the B-side of, I don't know, a, a witch doctor's track and I can get it up in a minute. And that emotional investment maybe is sort of slightly 
not to listen, I love music still and I love new music, but it's so easy now. I don't know how you guys, girls, remember it, but if someone said to me when I was at school, 14 or 15 years of age, I'm bringing in the new, I'm going to say camel, because you said camel, but it well, you know, I wouldn't have been waiting for that. But it would have been, hold on a minute, you said you were bringing it, bringing it in today. Why haven't you put, you know, that emotional yeah. investment was there, whereas now we can get that camel album up in, uh, in one minute, should you so wish. <laughs> Are you fine? I, I liked them in the day. Right. Before I got punk rock. Yeah, I can only sort of speak from personal experience, but, um, you know, I was brought up um, on an estate slapping in the middle of Paddington, Maribyrn, called Listen Grove. And um, we had this very, very cool girl that... So this would have been about 1976, called Anne. And she was the first person that I saw kind of wearing, you know, the leather jackets and, um, you know, she had leather trousers, I remember, so she was beautiful and, and, and sometimes sort of, you know, drainpipe jeans as well and just sort of thinking, oh my God, who's this? I'd be hanging out in my bedroom window sort of looking down and I'd see her sort of walking along. Who's this exotic, beautiful girl, you know? And, and so that would have been sort of early 1976 and then I'd already started buying music papers then and then you sort of started seeing these names kind of cropping up. And then, of course, after the Bill Grundy show, it was all over the national press. But for me as a 15-year-old, because, you know, my first sort of favourite band who I, you know, absolutely blew my head off were the Beatles. And I, I kind of got into the Beatles in 1975. And I saw an episode of All You Need Is Love, and it was dedicated to them. And I was like, what the... Who, who, I had heard of the Beatles, but... You know, it was completely devoted to them, and and I, everything became about the Beatles afterwards. You know, we I didn't have a job or anything, got, you know, hardly any pocket money, but somehow I used to manage to sort of swap records with. Uh, there was a, two other boys uh, uh, at my school, Rutherford, who were into the Beatles. A guy called David Pound, and another fella called um, Stephen Porter, and we used to sort of swap records. That was the way you kind of got around not having to buy them, and um, but. Everything was was about the Beatles until you know punk happened, and and that's why I you know I love the Clash. The Clash ran the Jam a close second for me. The reason why I like I like the Jam, I think really was because I think Paul Weller was one of the few people that openly admitted to liking the Beatles, which I thought, oh well, that's my band. Plus they looked a little bit moddy and they they looked cool as well. Yeah, and and you know lucky enough to kind of see them sort of you know on that first in the city tour and a few times on that tour and um and the clash you know but that's you know galvanized by punk you know we decided to sort of turn our school magazine into um into a, a punk fanzine we were literally slap bang in the middle of london stephen paul from the pistols literally lived at the end of um the street that our school was on bell street so we'd see them at lunchtime i mean you know i've got a vivid memory of paul and Cook and, and Steve Jones giving us a bag of never mind the bollocks stickers at lunchtime and we sort of brought them back into the flat into the flat into the school and we were putting them on you know teachers backs and you know I wish I'd kept them now I think they're probably worth about you know but and, and I've just you know just this other kind of pistols memory because it always sort of you know it still freaks me out thinking about it I'll never forget it the only time that I ever saw the four pistols together was um I remember coming out of school once we knew that Steve and Paul lived at the end of the I'd always go home that way mm. just thinking you never know you might see them is that Glenn or Sid? that was Sid 
So, so I, I remember Tony coming coming out of the school, you know, sorting along, you know, not caring the world, sashaying, moseying along, and then all of a sudden I saw, and I only found this out sort of quite recently. I saw this stretch black limousine pull up outside Stephen Paul's flat. It was like a butch in a film, and the four of them fell out. They were pissed. You could clearly see that they were they were pissed. And I just stood there like that. Like a cartoon in my eye. <laughs> and I only found out a couple of years ago, talking about the Punk and New Wave show, Paul came in for, a, for an interview, and, um, and I told him that story. He said, oh, that, that's the day that we, um, that we signed the deal with A&M yeah. at Buckingham Palace. Wow. And um, yeah. so I finally kind of got the, put the pieces together that that was, that was the day. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, how lucky were we, where we were at, at school? You know, there was a, there was a flat... Well, literally, just past where Stephen Paul was, there's Listen Grove Dole Office, which is where you would sometimes see, you know, The Clash or, or The Slits used to sign on. And, you know, I mean, I've told this one before, but, again, it never sort of ceases to kind of blow my, blow my mind, really, that I came out of school one day, we'd literally just started the, the, the fanzine, decided we were going to do it, and I was walking up to Edgware Road, so the other side of where the school was, to get my sort of lunchtime bag of... 12p chips and Joe Strummer was walking in the opposite direction and, and you know did a double take and I just thought well I've got to grab this opportunity now otherwise it's not going to happen and uh, I sort of threw myself in front of him and uh, and I said listen Joe my name's Gary and da 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 and he, honestly I, I always you know he was just looking at me like in utter disbelief you know who the fuck is this who the hell are you what are you on and, and, and I just said look we're starting out I had my school uniform on with the badges down the lapel we've just started our magazine and we love the clash and we love the jam and we love the and he was like he was kind of half smiling and he said well what are you doing tomorrow nothing and he, he said well look listen he said we're rehearsing at, um, at our studios over in um, in Camden and um, he said listen just you and a pal come over yeah definitely of course just being a pal bombed back to school 100 mile an hour word got round six of us the following afternoon, tea time after school, we sort of got up to Camden Town, and um, again, and I'll never forget this because I was always—I don't know why—but shy retiring me, I was pushed in front of, of, of the six to knock on the door where the studios were, and Roden, who was their their roadie, quite an intimidating fella as well. What do you want? He didn't swear. What do you want? And I went, well, we saw Joe yesterday and he said it was okay, but da da da. And he sort of begrudgingly sort of let us in. And uh, thankfully, you know, the band kind of turned up and uh, and Joe did the interview and um, you know, I mean, he gave us a couple of hours of, of, of his time and answered every question that not just me, but everybody was kind of firing his way. In fact, he went up to a cafe that they used to go to called George's, which was just on the other side of the bridge from where Camden Stables, where the rehearsal studios were. And he was like, listen, I'm hungry. I'm going to go and get something to eat. Do you guys want to come? And Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And in fact, there's some photos of us all sort of walking along. In school um, uniform. In school uniform, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could find it. On, on the, it it's up on the uh, up on the internet. And um, But yeah, he couldn't have been... Um, and just one more thing about Joe, because, you know, I, I always remember they were playing at the Finsbury Park Rainbow about, you know, two weeks later. And, um, and he said, come, ask for me on, on, on the door, I'll get you in. And so three of us turned up at, at the Rainbow uh, that night. And I never, never forget, 
we weren't we didn't go to the front door we went to the side you know the stage door if you like and I always remember him turning up with, with you know the, his girlfriend his lady at the time and just thinking oh god how glamorous you know getting out the back of a cab and um and and yeah you know Joe it's Gary do you remember that? yeah oh, come on they're with me they were and he sort of ushered in I think Sham was supporting him that night as well just the scariest thing I've ever seen but um, <laughs> but um no they're all right I saw Sham a couple of times but um but yeah I mean the clash live I mean I don't know how many of you so, so oh absolutely you know just the this the most vital exciting you know that free pronged attack didn't get much better than that for, 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 for me so um so yeah but like I said you know listen I'll always have very 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 um you know, fond memories of, of Pump because I think it really galvanised me to thinking, do you know what, maybe I could sort of work in music, you know, maybe I don't have to sort of do something, um, you know, that I don't really, really want to do. And, um, you know, so, so I decided to kind of have a bash. Yeah. Still having a bash. that music might be your thing how did your parents take this well I was very very lucky uh, in, in a way really my mum and dad split up when we were kids my mum left us for a fella who, who she actually um, you know stayed with so he obviously was the love of her life but um, so we were brought up by my um, my father and also my father's sister who was an absolute I'm sure Auntie Olive gets a mention in this actually I mean uh, I could get emotional talking about my auntie because her and my uncle never had kids but they absolutely you know really stood up and um you know kind of were there for me and my sister and, and, and my brother um so you know my auntie was just this lovely lovely lady who lived um just off uh, the target roundabout in Norfolk. so you know we lived on this estate listen green coming to stay with auntie olive was like coming to stay at blenheim palace or something it was like a palatial you know and it was this little suburban two up two down but we loved it and we loved her and we loved uncle john as well but olive was really really special and she listened and encouraged but you know we absolutely adored her my dad was a night worker used to work for heinz we used to say that's why he was full of wind but he dad was um he was a man of few words you know but he he was sort of quietly encouraging in a way really you know he let us kind of get on with it and um you know, I think that that was a real, for me, what I wanted to do, that was a real benefit, you know, because it just enabled me to, 
to kind of crack on as long as I didn't take the mickey I mean I remember the jam with the boys supporters was my first concert June in 1977 and you know I said dad I want to go and see this band and I really had to nag him and he said well look listen you know I think it was a school night it was a school night just don't get back too late you know and we didn't you know, I didn't take the piss the first couple of times then I did but um, so, so yeah you know quietly sort of encouraging Auntie Olive even more so, you know, she was uh, she was a really, really beautiful, you know, lovely lady, and uh, yeah, so um, very lucky, really. The only time that he was ever ever impressed my dad, I mean, was uh, one day when I literally just joined Capital Radio, Princess Diana came to meet some of the presenters, and uh, she famously was a big fan of Graham Dean's Breakfast Show, and God knows why they that they, they got me into the, uh, the you know to meet her. But I think if my memory serves me correctly, she met Graham, and she was a big fan of Michael Aspel, uh, Fluff, and, and and my show as well. And um, so she came into our little office, me and my producer's office, and we were introduced to her. And um, she, what did she say? She said. Um, Oh, I've heard your program. I've heard not. I listened to your program. I've heard your program. Yeah. And I said, Mom, just out of interest, what kind of music do you like? And um, she said she laughed and she said, Oh, she, you know, um, the usual slush. And I went, The slash. That's an that's an American punk band, isn't it? And then that made her laugh even more. And then our, our bosses were sort of laughing very very nervously. But um, yeah, it was um, that. So there was a photo taken, and that was the only time that my dad said, Oh, I want my copy of that picture, boy. You know. So uh, yeah, that was the only time. Yeah. Steve, you were going to say, yeah. Were you ever in a band yourself? No, no. I, just before punk happened, there was about six of us who, who were all, you know, music, music mad. And um, we talked about um, having a band. In fact, there was a name. The band were called Midnight, but there was only one instrument, a guitar. So um, I think I decided that I was going to be the, man, the band's manager PR because I wanted to be like a sort of Brian Epstein, Andrew Lou Golden, Kit Lambert type figure. But punk happened and then that all sort of completely went out the window then. Any more? Yeah. Um, the 80s, of course, was one of the best years for music. Do you think there's any particular year? Oh, that's a good... Well, well maybe even a favourite year or yeah, something. Favorite, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good question. I, I think that for me... Probably it would have to be 1982 because, uh, you know, that's when I was kind of given my radio show. And, uh, you know, I think for a 19-year-old, yeah. you know, having your own radio show on Capital. Yeah. And then literally then, you know, again, we were talking about, you know, the phone and how we access music now. At that time in London, I'm sure some of you, you know, would, will remember, there was Radio 1, there was Capital. Radio London had a couple of specialist music programmes. You know, Robbie Vincent, Mike Sparrow used to do a show as well. But, you know, you kind of had the capital's ears in a way, really. Um, so, you know, and 1982 music-wise as well, you know, a lot of those bands that I talked about, you know, earlier on, especially on the first one, you know, the Pound Fountains. I loved all that kind of jingly-jangly pop. Some of the exciting rap music that was coming out of America at that time, Grandmaster Flash and Africa Bambata. I, 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 I was yeah. I, I, I was happy as Larry. Um, being in a record shop. Like yes. Are, do you collect? Loads of do you know what? I'm I, I'm not, and, and, and it's interesting because I've I've had a, I've had a chat with um you know my mate Jim Jim Lahat who, who's who's you know one of my kind of closest buddies. And have you ever met him, Tony Jim at all? You must have well, probably have. stood next yeah, to yeah, each yeah. other at um, yeah, a, a record fair, I've but. I gave up collecting. So when I got the Beatle bug, yeah. you know, so this would have been about 75, 76, I started, you know, 
trying to get what I could get with the money that I had. And, and I, I just thought, this is a bottomless pit. I'm not going to have everything. You know, I, I, I'd be, you know, I'd die an old man trying to buy everything. So I kind of gave up quite quickly. But I did have quite a good collection up until about 82, 83. And then I was very, very lucky. I was able to kind of sort of move out and get my own flat. And, and my dad, bless him, and um, he, he, you better come and get these records or otherwise they're going to go. I'm going to get rid of them. Yeah, all right, Dad. Yeah, he doesn't mean that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a few of them did yeah. sort of disappear. Yeah, yeah, he's all right, really. Love you, really, Dad. But um, yeah, so, 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 in answer to your question, so yeah, never, right. you know, and again, I mean, I, I suppose with this now, really, you know, you can tell me the, you know, the B side of, you know, a carbon, and, and I can get it sort of straight away, you know. So, as far as collecting things, kind of gave up on that quite, quite early. I've still got, you know, a lot of my favourite Beatles stuff. You know, the jam are always going to be a favourite. You know, that band, I think, that you get into when you're 15, 16, it's always a special one for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, no, I kind of gave up on that um, quite quickly. Oh, yes? Can I ask, was there any band that you didn't see that you wish you had? Oh, God, that's a good question. Um... Well, the beat, you know, the Beatles. One of my favourite dreams is that, um, you know, the Beatles are playing somewhere like Shea Stadium or, you know, wherever, Candlestick Park or Carnegie Hall or something, and then, the, the, you know, the camera's on them, but as the camera pulls back, there's five Beatles, and there's a ginger-haired Beatle. <laughs> and it's me on sort of second rhythm guitar. Um, but... Oh god, that's a good. Do you know what? I never saw the. Do you know, I never saw the roses in, in in their prime, which which I regret. And also, and I, and I'm embarrassed to, to admit this. I've I've seen them in in the studio, and I had the perfect opportunity to see them play the London Palladium, and I never saw the Smiths. Oh. I know. Anyone here see the Smiths? In that? yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I, I had tickets, a pair of tickets to see them at the London Palladium. And um, me and my girlfriend had, a, had, a, had an argument that day. And I gave it to my pal, Simon, who went. And it's one of his top five gigs. Of, you know, to see the Smiths at the Palladium must have been... I was, I was at the gig in... Because I'm from Manchester, obviously. I was at the gig in Liverpool when they, when they beat Morrissey up. Really? Keeping quiet. Wow. Obviously, I suddenly realised this was the wrong accent. Right. In the wrong city. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw them in Manchester all the time. They were playing all the time. Yeah. Because they weren't that big. I don't yeah. think it's really stupid, but it's when you look back now that you think they must have been massive. But yeah. they weren't massive for the first couple of years, were they? And, it, and, and it's funny, you know, you, you think about that kind of period, you forget sort of sometimes, you know, you had to be pretty lively um, sometimes on your feet going to, um, going to concerts because if you walked into the wrong kind of crowd you know because it was very sort of partisan wasn't it you know these little tribes if you want to um, you know I remember once um, uh, you know we, we had to leg it once we went to um, you know because as I mentioned a little bit earlier I was into it and, and uh, if it was good if I thought it was good I was into it and I really kind of loved Two Tone yeah. you know I loved the message of Two I loved the music some of those gigs and, and, and those nights you know what a year that was 1979 to be on the enemy reception and going to see you know all these amazing, well that first tour I saw that so many times but yeah if you walked into the wrong you know the wrong or took a wrong tour, um, corner you know you, you had to 
pray that you had good running shoes on because um, you know people would come after you. Yeah. Thankfully, by about eighty three, I think eighty four, that did sort of decide. You know, certainly in London, I can't speak for, uh, but in London it did decide. You know, decide to um, to kind of calm down a little bit. I was going to ask you actually, some, yeah. Um, what's the regret? Have you got any regrets? Music-wise, obviously not personal. Got <laughs> uh, <laughs> a few of those. Uh, <laughs> Do you know not what? Just, not just the Smiths one, but something like mm-hmm. that—the band that you never saw, the band that you had the chance to. Go or an interview. interview or, yeah. Do, Do you know what? I've been so lucky with all the people that I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to kind of interview. But, Carla, do you remember, not last year, the year after, we went to see the Motown documentary, yeah. um, which was called Hitsville, wasn't it? The Making of Motown? I don't know, have you seen it at all? Yeah. Anybody? Oh, it's the, just the most joyous, life-affirming documentary. It's kind of mainly presented by Berry Gordy and Smokey. And their love affection for each other just absolutely grabs you by the neck and, and drive if you get a minute tonight wherever whatever platform you can watch it on you will not be disappointed but that that's a regret that that i haven't interviewed either of those guys you know that would be a real you know berry and and and, and smoky together you know separately um but but you know i've, I've been so you know, I, did, I, did, I was lucky i did the stones i lennon obviously i mean i love but there's a bit of me that you know, I love the fact that, uh, you know, I've kind of got these, my own image of maybe what he was like. And, uh, you know, I, t- I was watching yesterday afternoon a pal of mine. Has anybody seen the Rick Rubin, Paul McCartney um, thing yet? And a friend of mine burned it onto, um, onto a DVD. So I was watching that yesterday afternoon. It was really, really good. I really enjoyed that. But, uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, not, not really. Yeah, and I've been happy with my lot, really, yeah. Come on a roll now. Yeah, We're not going well. home. We're not going home. This is it. This is like a Bruce Springsteen concert. You're going to be crawling out of here on your knees. Look, Carla's had enough. She lives with me. So they say you should never meet your heroes. Yes. Which is why I'm standing at the back, clearly. Um, <laughs> who have you met and thought, oh dear? And who have you met and thought, wow? Oh, wow, okay. Um, that That's a good one. I mean, I have been generally, generally, and I'm not sort of, um, uh, you know, dodging the question here. I've been so lucky, really. There was a time in, 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 in the late 80s um, when... Um, you know, a lot of the kind of more sort of alternative indie bands, you know, didn't particularly enjoy being interviewed. Um, I always remember um, Sonic Boom from Spaceman 3 coming in once, and I don't know whether whether he, he was on something or, or, or not, but I'll leave that for you to, uh, to, to, to entertain. But it was literally sort of, yep, no, yep, no answers. And uh, I quickly sort of curtailed that and said, listen, you know, Sonic, I'm sure you've got to get back to, uh, you know, um, it was the Town and Country Club, they were doing uh, a, a, a performance there, so I'm sure you've got a sound check to go to. You know, you know who, who was tricky, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the, uh, of the doubt, and I, I did, halfway through the interview, I thought, oh, I can't do this, I'm, I'm literally, and I don't think I've ever done that before, where I've said, 
in a lot. You clearly don't want to do this. Nick Cave was tricky, but the, um, our producer, a lovely girl called Julie, she'd worked so hard to get that interview because he doesn't do much stuff. And, and I remember saying afterwards, and she said, oh, I can't believe that you did. And I said, do you know what? I was thinking about you when, when we were doing that. And she said, listen, once I you know, tidy it up and da-da-da, you look at that interview and you wouldn't think that it was like watching paint dry at, at, at times, you know. But do you know what? I mean, again, a, a bit of a sort of cliche, but, um, you know, sometimes it, it, the, the big ones, you know, the ones who've been around for a long time are, are the absolute sort of sweethearts. And uh, I remember, you know, Page and Plant. I mean, I like Led Zeppelin. I'm not the biggest Led Zeppelin fan in the world, but I remember being particularly nervous, actually. And, uh, uh, you know, I, th I did myself um, uh, a, a favour. My, my friend Johnny is here. He used to work at Sony Music with an ex-girlfriend. And uh, Jackie, and I remember Jackie had mentioned that they were re releasing... Jeff Buckley had sadly passed away, but they were releasing, like, a, a sort of a, a, an album after his passing of sort of, you know, rare tracks and B-sides and live tracks. And I knew that both of them, you know, Jimmy and, and, and Robert, were big Jeff Buckley fans. And I said to Jackie, oh, so this is how far back we're going, early 90s. Get us a cassette. Can you get us a cassette? And I remember they came into the studio and, and, and said, oh, I've got a little present for you. And... They were just like, absolutely, you know, talk about us all loving music and being fans and stuff. They were like, oh my God, I can't believe you got that. And, and you know, they were putty in my hands um, afterwards. But, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier on about the Beatles, you know, lucky to have done interview Paul McCartney about three or four times over the years. And the first time that, you know, I interviewed him, Jesus, yeah, I mean, I've joked about this before, but, you know, I was building... Pink Floyd's The Wall in my underpants. I was shitting myself. And he couldn't have been nicer. We did it at um, his offices, um, MPL, in, in, um, in, in Soho Square. And, um, you know, we were only meant to have 20, 25 minutes. But we got about 40 minutes with him. I think Steve might have heard this story. But... Um, his PR guy was a lovely, lovely fella called Jeff Baker on the way out. He said, he, he liked you. You got a little bit longer. Uh, but that was, that, that was, you know, for me as a Beatle fan, you know, and, I, and I, I like to sort of think that I've read, you know, quite a lot. You know, I'd like to sort of think I could probably hold my own in, 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 in a trivia quiz. Not saying that I'm, the, I'm not Mark Lewison, but, you know, I'm, I love the Beatles. And there's not many sort of, um, you know, days go by when in some way they're in my life whether I'm reading about them or listening to the music but um, that day he was sort of telling me things that, that you know I hadn't heard before and he was talking about the Run Devil Run album so it was all about the rock and roll and you know the early days of, of Liverpool and you know I think John and Stuart living in Gambia Terrace near the art college and, and you know when they went to um, Hamburg and you know meeting little Richard and I think Fats Domino they met there as well and I was just sat there like and every now and then you'd kind of get this wave of fucking Paul McCartney <laughs> managed to sort of, you know, manage to, uh, to, to navigate it. And, uh, you know, if you told me the kid who was 14, 15, you know, begging my sister and brother to shut up so I could record the audio of the Beatles films, that one day I would be in this man's company, I, you know, I would not have believed you. So that was, that, that was a good one, yeah. Brian Wilson was surreal, but we'll save that for another day. <laughs> Earlier on, you mentioned that the 80s had lots of tribes. Which yes. Yeah. So you're, you're, these collections are pulling together the music. Yes. And um, somebody who was around at the same time was Robert Elms, who looks a lot at the, the uh, culture of the different tribes. Yes. 
did your paths cross, or were you sort of not? Not really, because he, he he's about um, he, he's about three or four years older um, than, than me, Robert. Um, so you know, Robert, I think famously has said on the program, um, you know, I think he was at the Hundred Club to see the Pistols and the Clash, whereas I kind of came in, so he would have been about 17 or 18, whereas I was 15 in, in, in um, you know, 77. And um, so, you know, I saw the jam at Batsy Town Hall, I saw the clash at the uh, Rainbow, and then I saw them at, you know, the, where they would do the Lyceum, I saw them so many times there, and the Palais as well. So just that little bit younger, you know, um, which is, you know, quite a big thing. It's a big uh, thing at, at that point. At the yeah. time, yeah. at the time. But, um, but like I said, I um, I do have a fondness for that first bit of the eighties. Um, you know that bit uh, that time because somebody said that about the first compilation. You know the pop music that had an edge to it was getting in the charts. You know, and 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 you would put top of the pops on on a Thursday evening, and I don't know how you guys remember it, but I remember. You know, you'd have Orange Juice over there, and maybe Dex is over there, and Adam Ants, Adam and the Ants over there. You know, so. All that sort of great pop music was getting into the charts at the time, you know. And Steve, is this good for you? Is this all? Um, Steve's going to see if you ask a question. You might be on Steve's podcast. He's recording this. Oh, yeah, if anyone's and we're going to have a live album next week as well, available from uh, Tony's. Yeah. I see you put a couple of reggae tracks on. Uh, yeah, the album. great. You know, in the eight, I mean, there was some great. I mean, almost every every week, you know, there'd be a record, and uh, you know. A record that had like a, you know, for want of a better term, a sort of a pop sensibility to it um, that would sound great on the radio as well. So, yeah, I mean, I've got another one, Bites the Dust, on there and uh, Rubber Dub Soldier by Paul Blake and the uh, Bloodfire Posse. Rico, yeah, I mean, Two-Tones influence again. I mean, I know we obviously all know the first wave of stuff, but... You know, we've got the Friday Club on there with Window Shopping, which is this wonderful sort of off, almost Northern Soul tinged record, Rico Jungle Music. I love that tune. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it's a bit of a, it's a bit um, eclectic. That, that that that's the word really. But um, you know, that's the way that I remember it, and that's the way that 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 you know I used to approach my radio show with. You know, it's a bit like my record collection. Well, that's well, that's. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll put that on the sleeve with the. <laughs> What's your name? I'll put you on that. But no, that's. Uh, but listen, that's that. That's not. Yeah, because that's. I wasn't just into one type of music. I'm just a rubber dub soldier fighting to keep the rockers alive. I'm a new recruit of the robot of army. I'm a private marching confidently. Stepping through the battlefield with success just to prove that the rockers are the best. Because I'm just a robot of soldier. Fighting to keep the rockers alive. If it means that I'll have to be working, working from a nine until five. 
It's a revolution, every rubber dub style, the mash down every community. Can't deal with no function, I bother with soul. Rubber dub at the control. Because I'm just a rubber dub soldier. Fighting to keep the rocker alive. Um, so back in the 80s, yes. myself and a lot of friends obviously were BMXers and hip hop and the street sounds stuff. Right. Sound stuff. Uh, your last album introduced me to Bush Tetris. Right. I went round his house, put it on his decks, absolutely loves it. The yeah. It's banging. Um, How old are you? Do you mind me asking? I mean, I'll be 47. In okay, September. so you, you would have been a, yeah, you're a baby in 1982. Exactly, yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah. Do you know, it's so funny, you know, you mentioned that, that record, um, the Bush Tetris, and um, I can just remember hearing that for the first time. Amazing. I mean, I mentioned, it, it's funny, I mentioned um, this guy called Adrian Thrills. I don't know if it, do, you, do you remember Adrian at all? Adrian was a writer for the NME, and, um, you know, he, again, a couple of years older th- th- than me, but great taste you know Adrian later went on to do a little bit of A&R but he had a really good ear and, and, and when I was on the reception at, at the enemy in 1979 you know Adrian would come in with this sort of you know you know week after week some cool new band who just who went on to become successful you know whoopsie daisy whether it was I don't know ABC or you know the two-tone thing you know there's a wonderful documentary uh, where Adrian's in it if you get a chance this evening or tomorrow if you get half an hour in your day there's an arena special on the story of two-tone and Adrian's the, the, the kind of journalist the enemy ace cub reporter is going up to Coventry to meet the band but Adrian's taste I don't know about you guys, but when I was buying, you know, music papers, I used to align myself with, like, DJs on, on, on the radio, you know, P-, P. Lee and Peter Young, and, um, you know, a bit of Annie as well on a Sunday night after after the um, the, the, the show, um, the, the chart show. But, um, you know, there'd be certain journalists, and I think, oh, I think they, they like, they seem to be writing about what I like as well. So, um, so, so what, yes. was, what I was going to go on to say is... Um, by going around there and putting out and, and him getting into Bush Tetris now, you know, um, he's an electro man like myself. We've, we've got all the electro street sounds, that sort of stuff. And, you know, we're diverse, we listen to anything. Have you got any plans and can you get any clearance? I think it is Morgan Khan you'd have to approach to what get about some electro Those old, yeah. Um, do, do, wait, there's do, a lot of stuff that I, I think, you know, the indies, the punks should get into to. to yeah have a feel of that as well yeah I mean it's funny you should mention Morgan's name because I saw him just before all of this started I was you know in the West End having a coffee with a pal of mine and Morgan was um, was um, on the next table and I hadn't seen him for for, for ages but um, those street sounds compilations were very important weren't they you know to kind of introducing introducing us to new stuff I mean the the only thing is, is that this is my understanding. I'm, I'm not an expert, but you know, the, the, when you get these records, these tracks for a compilation like this, you know, then it's sort of, it, it, you know, it, it, obviously the artists or the record company own it. So to put it out again, I think they've got to go through it again. If you were to put out a compilation from 1982, you'd have to go back to all those artists and get the clearances done again. Am I right in saying that, Johnny? Does that sound about right? Generally, generally. yeah. But um, so so yeah, but those albums, those street sound compilations were were were, were very cool. Yeah. Finally, I was going to say, did you go to any of the UK Fresh? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, no. But um, you know, vivid memories of you know the world's famous Supreme Team coming into the studio and and, and interviewing them and seeing scratching done. 
up close, personal. It's like, what the... You know, it was amazing. And then, um, I mean, that was such an exciting time, 81, 82. Um, you know, whether it was, you know, those early Grandmaster Flash records or, um, you know, hearing Soul, you know, um, Planet Rock, Africa Bambata, and, um, you know, hearing those records for the first time. I always remember going to see um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five for the first time at the venue in Victoria. And, um, you know, they kind of looked so Vegas in a way, really, because they had these sort of wonderfully sort of colourful outfits on, you know. Um, they looked as though, you know, some of the suits were sort of made by the guy who made Elvis's clothes kind of thing, you know. But seeing, you know, Grandmaster Flash cutting for the first time, it was like, wow, you know. It really was, again, privileged to kind of sort of experience that for the first time, really. It was so exciting. There was a time and a place where that music was a combination of all music. Yeah. Soul, funk and jazz, but it's also... Well, that's what we were talking about, you know, and I think hopefully, you know, some of that sort of influence, you know, kind of looking for, 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 for new stuff all, 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 all the time to kind of listen to. And I think that yeah. that sort of hopefully sort of seeps into that a little bit, you know. Well, the 80s had a good combination of all types of genre of music, which yeah. we all listen to. And yeah. That's, and that's a good thing. And also, Marcus, I don't think you'd arrive on it, but I was sort of saying earlier on, I've got a sort of theory. I don't know whether, you know, anyone else agrees, but I think, you know, a lot of these artists, you know, whether it's the Style Council or, you know, Altered Images or, you know, D or Kid Creole, they were aspiring to these amazing songwriters, you know, trying to sort of, you know, be as good as. But, you know, maybe they didn't get to those heights, but they kind of created their own thing in a way, really, you know, so... Yeah, I, I think I think that those songs. We have lost the lyrics now, but back then. Back yeah, then. it was a good. It, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I can remember you know reading interviews with Kid Creole, and 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 you know he'd be sort of talking about Cole Porter or something, and 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 it would make you sort of it would make you kind of you know go sort of exploring in a way really, and uh, I think that um, you know I'm thankful that I kind of lived through that and um, yeah, you, you know so whoever I was a, a, a fan of whether it was Jerry Dammers or, or you know Kit Creole or you know Paul Weller or Joe Strummer I'd want to know what books they were reading and, and, and you know the records that they were listening to um, you know just sort of thinking about the, the, this box set was that um, we talked about Big Audio Dynamite a little bit earlier on and one of my most prized possessions is a cassette compilation Marcus and it says to Gary C from MJ and when I got that I was like I could roll over and die now but it was this you know wonderful 120 minute cassette of you know New York rap and, and, and reggae tunes that he was loving and you know oh wow you know that, that was just but as we said I think you know hopefully you know these two sort of mirror that eclecticism that was in the air at the time Anyone else? No? That's about it. Okay. I'm not too dry. <laughs> Listen, I really, really appreciate you all coming along this afternoon. I really do. Thanks for making the effort. It's lovely to see some familiar faces. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Tony, for having me as well. Thanks to John. Thanks, John. I look forward to volume three. Yeah. <laughs>